It's Wednesday, September 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reef, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. J Mo. Howdy. How you doing? All right. How about you? That's great to be here. With it's you. always great to be here. I think I've told you before, I like those Wednesdays where I come into work and I'm. You know, not necessarily scheduled for market foolery, and then I get a little Slack message from you, and it's like, and you know, I'm going to say yes every just time. Brighten your day, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I just have, I'm coming to I'm coming to rely on you now, Jason. It's our thing. Man, this is our thing. thing. Everybody's got a thing. This, this is, is our, our thing. thing. <laughs> Being in the studio together is a great thing, especially when we've got so much to talk about, including big changes over at Twitter and the future of fast food. But we begin with the big news from Monsanto. Monsanto has been bought out by Bayer. Is it Bayer? Bayer. Bayer. Bayer is what they call it. For $66 billion. That's billion with a B. Bayer, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's the life sciences company. They make everything from aspirin to sunscreen. Uh, Monsanto produces uh, genetically modified seeds uh, and herbicides uh, and stuff like that. Uh, This is a gigantic deal between two <laughs> yeah. gigantic companies. Uh, it would create a company with uh, about $26 billion in sales. Uh, Bayer is established in Germany. Monsanto is down in St. Louis, so it's going you know, across borders here. Uh, this is a giant deal. First and foremost, JMO, if you're a Monsanto uh, shareholder today, are you happy about this deal? I, I, I Honestly, I think you probably have to be. Mm. I think that Monsanto um, is an important it's an impressive business, but they are a bit of a polarizing business in that you mentioned herbicides, mm-hmm. and Monsanto is known for Roundup. I think a lot of people rightly have some concerns in regard to Roundup and its effects on, on the environment. I think they are facing some headwinds in regard to that, not to mention the fact that uh, there are there are more uh, competitors in that space that, that will give them more uh, challenges, at least as far as herbicides go. And then they're also known for uh, sort of the genetically modified seeds or the coatings that help maximize crop yields. Right. And I think honestly, I mean, when, when you consider the entire planet and how many people we have on this entire planet and how many places really are are in need of of food. I mean, we obviously aren't here. We're very very lucky where we are and where we live. Uh but but the rest of the world is is not quite that way. I think Monsanto serves a a very unique and good purpose in that regard. Um again, it is a bit polarizing. I mean, I think this whole genetically modified organisms um issue it it, it gets it polarizes people, right? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't, don't want to touch that feelings. thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I and so I it's 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 hard to say whether there's a right or wrong answer. It's just people feel one way or the other about it, and, and that's okay. I get that. I think that Ramon Santo, this takes them a bit uh, more out of the spotlight in regard to that. Mm. They get to roll up into uh, becoming a part of something bigger and bare. Uh, this is a deal that they've they've been kind of bear's been kind of pursuing this for a little while, and it took a few offers to finally make. Uh, uh, to, to finally make Monsanto feel good, feel good about what they were getting, and shareholders, I think, are going to work uh, are going to win from this. But I think with Bayer, you mentioned they <laughs> they do everything from pharmaceuticals to uh, agriculture mm-hmm. and and plastics and all of this other stuff. So it's a it's you know it, it's it's a very diverse business, and I think that we're seeing a lot of uh, consolidation in sort of the agriculture business. I think potash. Uh, was recently the subject of, of an acquisition here as well. So, oh, yeah. not terribly surprising to see uh, this deal happen. We figured it was just a matter of time and dollars and cents. 
And um, again, I mean, I think that these these guys, honestly, this is going to be kind of like peanut butter and chocolate. I think they're going to work very well together. <laughs> and, and I think that for Monsanto shareholders, this will this will give them, I think, a fair price uh, for a stock that's probably going to have some challenges other, challenges otherwise in the coming years. And now the stock itself isn't isn't up all that much today. I think there's a lot of caution about this deal right now because it's so big and because it spans the globe. Uh, we're going to have a lot of regulatory eyes on this, sure. uh, both in Germany and in the U.S. And like you said, you know there's been a lot of consolidation in the agricultural industry recently. Potash uh, and Agrium uh, merged. Uh, Deer and Co is trying still trying to complete a deal. With with Monsanto as we speak. Mm-hmm. DuPont and China National Chemical are taking over Syngenta. Those names may not mean all that much to you if you're not paying attention to this industry, but like you said, it's a giant industry across the entire world, and more and more than ever, it's just coming down to these big players. There's no small players in agriculture anymore. Consolidation has left them all, you know, under under the wings of these giant corporations. And now you've got this new, even bigger tie-up between these even bigger companies. Uh, again, I have to expect regulators are going to be looking very, very closely at this. So that being said, are you? If you're not a Monsanto shareholder, are you diving in on the news today? Are you waiting until the deal is completely finalized? Uh, what should what should investors do with this news? Yeah, I think if you're not a Monsanto shareholder, then you probably just kind of go on with life, and <laughs> this doesn't really affect you. I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about getting in there and trying some sort of arbitrage play there mm-hmm. because. Uh, I, my feeling on that is there are plenty of people out there who know a lot more than than any of us in this building about what's going on behind closed doors, and so when it comes to sort of arbitrage plays with these acquisitions, that's that's news that somebody out there knows more than you do. You just have to make that assumption every time. Right. Um, I I think I mean regulators will go through this one. I think with a fine tooth comb to make sure everything is sort of on the up and up. Again, I don't think it's something that will be. Uh, that will be turned down. I, th- mm. I think it, I think it'll go through. And I think honestly, we talk a lot about competitive advantages and, and sort of when you're looking at investments, what kind of competitive advantage would this business have in agriculture? Things like this really scale as a tremendous advantage mm. because not only do you have the financial resources to really do what you need to do, but you have the facilities, the research, uh, and, and you you just have everything sort of at your disposal. So scale certainly is is a competitive advantage in a market like this. And it seems like everybody's kind of following everybody's lead here. It's sort of one acquisition begets another, and they all sort of fall in line. We see some consolidation, and I think in the end, I mean, what we've seen over the course of our lifetime. I know I'm a little bit older than you, but I mean, still we see it is technology continues to to. Bring the cost of things down. It continues to make our lives better in many ways, um, and I think that businesses like these, I think when they consolidate, when they put their resources together, it gives them an opportunity uh, to at least try sure. uh, to make the world a better place in some capacity. And I'm sure that's what a lot of people are hoping will happen with this one. Again, I think Monsanto is a business that polarizes a lot of folks. I mean, I think a lot of people feel very strongly about um, what they do, and I get that. Uh, I I, per, I personally don't, but but I do understand people that do. So I, I imagine for Monsanto shareholders, this will be a little bit of a relief in that the company's kind of taken out of the spotlight and they can kind of go on about their business. Speaking of the spotlight, let's shift over to Twitter. I mean, if Jason Moser is in the is in the booth today, <laughs> we got to talk about Twitter uh, today. Uh, 
the social media service is beginning a new, it's rolling out a new video-centric app, is I guess the way to put it. Uh, it will be available for Apple's TV box, uh, as well as Amazon's Fire TV, and on Microsoft's Xbox One. Basically, the app will allow you to watch live-streamed events. For instance, the first one coming up tomorrow, uh, the New York Jets versus the Bills uh, for Thursday Night Football. Mm -hmm. uh, you can watch that using this Twitter app on your TV. Now, I like the sound of this. It sounds yes. like fun. It sounds like uh, something I'm going to use. I have an Xbox One. I'm going to yeah. give it a shot tomorrow. I'm a New York Jets fan because I hate <laughs> yeah. myself, so it'll be fun. <laughs> but my question for this is... How does the company make money off of this? Because uh, I was reading, you don't need a Twitter account to use this app. You don't even need a pay TV subscription. So how does this affect Twitter's top line revenue? Where Where's the money going to come from? Yeah, the bottom line is money comes from advertising right. for this business today. And I mean, I think uh, I, I've said before, when you look at businesses like Twitter, like Facebook, I mean, these aren't just social media companies. These are really the media companies of the 21st century. They are helping reshape sort of an old way of thinking and an old way of, of consuming content. And, and um, so, I, I think that basically what we have here is that Twitter is turning into a TV channel, more or hmm. less, in some capacity. Now, that's not all it is, but I think that what we've seen for the longest time is there's been a lot of question in regard to Twitter and um, exactly how how much can they grow, how much growth can we expect, how do they monetize that growth, do they really just need to be acquired by someone to become a part of something bigger, and and I I think that's a question that's still going to hang out there. I mean, I don't I don't think that uh, we're going to learn everything just from this one action. But I mean, we can say with certainty that this live streaming initiative is the strategy that they fully believe in, uh, and they believe that 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 is what's going to take this business forward. That's what's going to lead them sort of to the promised land if they're going to make it on their own. And so, over the past few months, we've seen sort of some testing and learning via the mobile app, um, and, I, and it was even available on desktop when they were streaming things like Wimbledon coverage or the right. conventions. Uh, they've done some PGA Tour golf. Um, and all along the way, um, they have inked a number of interesting deals. They've inked some relationships. They obviously have the Thursday night football with the NFL this mm -hmm. year, and that's going to be where the NFL is really you know, tackling this strategy of wanting to have uh, broadcast television with CBS and NBC. They're going to have the cable side of the equation with the NFL Network, and then they're going to have the digital side of the equation with Twitter. Right. So they're attacking that distribution on all three fronts. So, so the NFL, I think, is very wise mm -hmm. uh, to do that. They see that content is getting out there in many different ways now, and I think Twitter was smart to kind of get in there and uh, try to be a part of it. I think it's interesting that the NFL went with Twitter, even though Twitter wasn't the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. But I think it caters very much to Twitter's sort of live, real-time nature. That's what it does so well. And so, um, all of the testing and learning thus far has been very encouraging. They've been focusing on the quality of the video and the quality of the timeline, because ultimately, if those two things suck, then people probably aren't going to watch it anyway, right? Makes sense. And then the biggest question right now, leading into today, really, was sort of discovery. How are we going to actually go find this? Mm -hmm. How are we going to go to our app tomorrow and say, I want to watch the football game? I mean, they've not done a very good job of making discovery very easy. Now, there's a reason why, uh, not only in, in wanting to test out and get the, the quality of the video up, but they also know that if they make discovery very easy and then the system gets inundated with 300 million users at once, hmm. it's going to crash. Smart. Because yeah. they don't have the infrastructure laid down fully because they're in test and learn mode. Uh, 
So today's news is another step in the right direction for Discovery. Um, as you said, the app is going to be available on Apple TV boxes, Fire TV. I have a Fire TV box at home, and mm-hmm. so I'll download the app tonight and check it out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think it's very cool to see how, you know, just a few years ago we were talking about the second screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I think Twitter realizes that they can be the first screen and the second screen, and that's the ultimate goal. Right. And you're going to go on to this Twitter app, for example, on your Apple or, or Amazon TV box, and you're going to be able to watch the game, and you're going to be able to see Twitter content and Periscope content and Vine content all integrated with that broadcast, bringing the first and second screens together really on one screen, mm-hmm. uh, which to me is pretty compelling. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of sort of iterations and learnings here over the coming year because they have 10 games, remember. But let's also remember, it's well beyond the NFL. I mean, they have PGA stuff, MLB stuff, NHL stuff. They have finance stuff. Like, with uh, they, they just think that deal with, with Cheddar that, yep. that started and Bloomberg up, News and as Bloomberg well. Bloomberg yeah. News as well. So, a lot of different pokers in the fire as far as building out that content. I think it's the right move. I think it's we're going to see a lot of what they've accomplished tomorrow. And I think, again, it's going to be another step forward. I don't look at tomorrow as being the finish line. I think it's just another step towards what I think is, is ultimately a good strategy. If they're going to make it on their own, this is going to have to work. Mm-hmm. And we are going to find out if this is working over the course of the next two quarters, I think. Right. We'll be able to see not only registered users, but really total audience. And I think that's probably one of the mistakes a lot of people make is is they only look at registered users when really you have to think about how that content gets out beyond just those diehard power Twitter users like me. Mm-hmm. Uh there are people who don't have Twitter accounts that are going to be able to consume a lot of Twitter content, and they're going to figure out new ways to monetize that, whether it's advertising, uh, potentially some sub- subscription revenue there uh, at some point, who knows. But I, I think these are all the right steps. I agree. And frankly, I think the biggest winners here are people like me, cord cutters. Sure. I don't have cable. I've got the Xbox One. So I've got the Netflix app and the Hulu and even the Amazon uh, and this is, like I said, I'm going to download this tonight. I'm going to give it a shot tomorrow with the yeah. Thursday night football game. Uh, and I, I'll see if I like it. And if I do, then I'll keep on using it. What's I your have... solution for sports, if you don't mind me, as with if you cut the cord? And I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. What's your solution for sports right now? Right now, there isn't a great one. So I, yeah. I, I use the, uh, my parents actually have the DirecTV Red Zone uh-huh. package. So I just, I get it from them. And I'm not alone in that. A lot of people utilize that strategy because there is no good way to watch yeah. live sports if you're a cord cutter like me. It's either mooch off of somebody else or go to a bar sure. and watch it there. Uh, so something like this appeals heavily to me, not just because of the sports factor, but because I think it's going to open the door to a lot of other companies to start yeah. experimenting with this sort of thing. And that's my question for you. At what point, you know, if Twitter is leading the charge here with this kind of not just being the second screen, but also being the first screen, at what point does a Facebook enter the fray? And are you worried about those big competitors joining in? No, I think I think Facebook is already trying to enter the fray here in some capacity. I mean, they have. Uh, they they are doing I think a show with with Cheddar for example in the mornings, um, and, and I think they're they're you know Facebook is a bit of a different platform, and I don't know it's necessarily um, as as attractive a place to go for things like this because Facebook is it it, it doesn't have this same sort of live real time. Uh, nature to it. I mean, Facebook is a place where you can kind of come and go as you please, kind of like a bulletin board, I guess, where you can go up there, check content, leave some thoughts or pictures, and then go off and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. But I think, regardless, Facebook Live is very strong. Uh, they are they are paying 
um, companies like the New York Times, for example, to create videos with Facebook Live. And I think so. A lot of this live streaming stuff is very, uh, just in the very nascent stages. But I think that when you look at players in the space who are going to be a part of it, I mean, Facebook is by far and away going to be one sure. because they have such a large installed user base. With that said, I, I certainly think Twitter is going to be one. Now, whether it's by themselves or whether it's a part of a, of a bigger company, who knows? Yeah, yeah. But I think they have a very large and active and engaged user base as well. Um, I, I think in regard to the streaming, it's interesting to note that Twitter is using BAM Tech to help them on the streaming side with mm-hmm. this with this NFL deal. And BAM Tech is the company that just got a billion-dollar cash infusion from Walt Disney hmm. uh, in order to start participating in, in taking their content with ESPN-branded content over the top and offering some digital offerings that can help out with cord cutters like yourself. Um, and, and, I, and I think we're going to see more and more cord cutters just as time goes on. So, again, I mean, it's always been sort of a question of distribution, really, more than anything. And I think that, that companies like Twitter and Facebook, and I think Disney is certainly a part of that, they're looking at all of these new ways to distribute content and reach a bigger audience. Um, and, and these are the, the early innings of that. I can't wait, quite frankly, to see what comes out of this. Yeah, uh, I, th- I mean, I think this I, is going to be great. I, yeah, I, I have cable at home. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, we have Fios, and so I could watch the game any number of ways. But I, I'm, I'm going to go watch it on the Fire TV box because yeah. I really want to see what that experience is like with the game and in, integrating all of that other Twitter content and Periscope and Vine content in there because I have a feeling it, it, it could be a lot of fun. And then, of course, you're going to be sitting there using your phone anyway, either sure. looking at your fantasy football scores mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of potential there. It's just it's going to come down to execution. And, um, again, I think tomorrow is just the first step of many. The future is bright for television, but it might be brighter for food. <laughs> yeah. You see, Burger King, those innovators, <laughs> they've done it again. Uh, <laughs> from the people who brought you Mac and Cheetos and the Whopper Burrito, otherwise known as the Whopperito. And the Whopperito failed. <laughs> Regardless, Jason, <laughs> they pushed the boundaries, and that's all you can ask Innovative. from an innovator Certainly. like Burger King. And they've done it again with the Cheetos Chicken Fries. Now, these are chicken sticks, white meat chicken sticks, just like you'd get in a Burger King chicken tender, except in fry form, elongated fry form, covered in Cheeto cheese dust, the most synthetic, you know, we're talking about GMOs and all that. You want synthetic foods, you get Cheetos cheese dust on your fingers. Uh, it's the new thing. They come out today. Burger King is rolling out the cheese dusted chicken sticks. They cost two eighty nine for a nine piece order. Jason, are you gonna go to your nearest Burger King today and get one of these bad boys? No, I'm not even gonna cupcake it, man. I wish I could say that I would consider it, but I won't. Um, and I'm not a guy that eats to live either. You know, I mean, I I don't really I I care about what I eat, but I mean, I don't I don't worry too terribly much about it. But I really I I just have have eliminated fast food like Burger King and McDonald's and stuff like that from my life. More or less. I mean, I guess if you're on a road trip and you're desperate or something, then that's the exception. But I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I just don't really like it all that much. Well, so. I think that's exactly what Burger King is trying to solve because Burger King, all of the fast food companies, are feeling that squeeze from folks yeah. like you who have just kind of passed on, you know, fast food at this point, or millennials who are looking for something a little bit healthier. Maybe yeah. uh, that's why these companies like Burger King are coming out with Mac and Cheetos and Whopperitos, <laughs> or Taco Bell is coming out with a breakfast menu, or Jack in the Box has their munch 
crunchy meals. I, you don't think of fast food as the place for innovation, but innovation is kind of all these companies have left. It's the only area of growth. So a yeah. Burger King, I have to assume they're trying to appeal to people like you and say, you know, I, I'm going to try this. It could be funny. I'm going to give it a shot and maybe rope you in that way. Yeah. Does it work? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If you stick a bag of Cheetos in front of me, I'm 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 not going away empty-handed. Sure. Um, Add some chicken. But in yeah, there. I mean, I, I I don't even <laughs> I don't even know where Burger King is um, around here. So, I, I, hey, I'm not knocking them for innovation. They I, they got to get out there and do whatever they can to keep interest up. And I think that's what things like this do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, I I think. These keep the attention out there. It gives us a reason to even talk about it. And if we're talking about it, then I think ultimately it's a win no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because these, I think gone are the days where they can just sit there and rely on the, the tradition of the Whopper because uh, there, there's so many more choices out there today competing for our food dollars. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see how this one uh <laughs> How long this one lasts? I can't wait. I'm trying. I'm trying it immediately. Yeah, I mean, I know we're, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to rendezvous again, maybe next Wednesday, and let's. You, we it'll it'll be uh, you know a review with Mark Reed. Sure, and you can tell us the good, the bad, and the um, the ugly. I'll be the one moaning on the floor in pain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and wrap things up. So we're periscoping live right now, yes. and that's a great way to reach out to the wider audience. But you. You love to do this. You love your Twitter. Uh, you reached out today. Uh, you use your hashtag or your handle at TMFJMO, J-M-O, uh, and ask the people to give us some questions that sure. we can answer uh, on air. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, so again, if you're ever, you know, if you paying attention, keep an eye out on at TMFJMO. Whenever you and I are on, we do have a tendency to bring up the Twitter you know, questions. So yeah, feel well, free. it's always fun. It's a, it's great. It's a nice I, way to sort of... Throw a little change into the show and, mm-hmm. and to maybe uh, expand the subject matter a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. And we got some great questions today. Yes. Let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, we'll start with at Small Cap Danny, who asks, can you guys talk about REITs, R-E-I-T-S? Can you buy a REIT stock like American Tower for same diversification purposes as plain old real estate? I have no idea how to answer that question, <laughs> because REITs, to me, are these big, scary amalgamations of real estate, which unto itself is an interesting industry. What's your take on Danny's question? Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating industry. Honestly, I think if you're going to choose between investing in uh, actual real estate or a real estate investment trust, mm-hmm. I think a real estate investment trust is a far more attractive way to go. because. I mean, when you look at actual real estate, and I can say this having owned a few properties in my life, owning real estate is just very cumbersome. Mm. I mean, it's very inefficient uh, from the transaction side, whether you're buying or selling. There's a lot of money wasted in the process. And historically speaking, I mean, I think housing, generally speaking, is is doing well just to kind of keep up with inflation. We had sort of that outlier in in the early 2000s when the housing bubble hit, but that's not normal. Um, so I think that real estate investment trusts are a great way to get some real estate expo- exposure with very high dividend yields. Um, they're not all created equal. It really does boil down to management. So you want to make sure you got a, a management team in there that's been around for a while and knows what they're doing. And and then I also think just to remember that in times of higher interest rates. Uh, it it can be that things like REITs and MLPs, because of their high yield, often investors are chasing that for the high dividend yield. But when interest rates start to go up, and there are some lower risk investments out there with attractive yields, you can see money flowing out of those REITs and MLPs and into other other sorts of fixed income instruments with with less risk and better yield. Sure. So that can play out on the stock price for those REITs in the short run. Um, 
I, I, you know, I don't think that really should be the driver of whether you decide to invest in REITs or not. I think they're great holdings um, for very long periods of time because you get accumulated some serious dividends in the process. Right. Uh, but but yeah, you want to also make sure you research the team behind the uh, behind the company. Makes sense. Okay, uh, we've got at PIAB seventy. Uh, who asks, I own Wells Fargo stock. Should I panic or ride it out for the long term? For those of you who aren't paying attention to Wells Fargo, it's down about 13% year-to-date. Uh, Jason, why and what should we do? Yeah, well, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, Motley Fool Money, we covered it on Friday, but there was a situation where a bit more than 5,000 employees were um, fired for Flat-out fraud. I yeah. mean, they they were opening fake accounts and whatnot in order to meet short-term incentive goals. Um, it sounded like at the banking center level, and having been in this business, I mean, I, I did actually work for a a big bank in the early two thousands, hmm. and and the incentive structure begged for this kind of behavior. It was a poor incentive structure, um, and and so I I think if we had not seen Wells Fargo CEO come up and acknowledge the problem and sort of talk about ways that they're trying to remedy it, I I might be a little bit more prone to say. You might want to at least be a little bit concerned, but I I think in the long run this is just a blip on the radar. Two things stand out here. Number one, Wells Fargo is by far and away the mortgage leader in in the United States, and this is a this is an economy that is very much based on housing, and mm-hmm. so they make a lot of money through their mortgage banking, and and that then leads them to a pretty good banking division as well, um, and I think that. We saw them uh, go ahead and acknowledge that it's a, it's a flawed incentive system, and they're going to fix it. Now, I think bottom line is how do they fix it, and will it be such that it doesn't beg for this kind of behavior in the future? I'd like to see some more information on that, but mm-hmm. for now, I mean, I would not freak out and just unload Wells Fargo unless you just feel personally offended at what they did, and that's okay too. I think a lot of people are pretty pissed about this, sure. and I get that. Um, we've said you know a lot of people. Be very angry about it in the first couple of days, and they talk about wanting to switch their bank accounts. And then you start realizing you've got so many automatic withdrawals and things tied to your checking account, it becomes very cumbersome just to change banks mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're going to do what you're going to do. But from an investor's perspective, I don't think I would freak out yet. I think they'll get past this. And I think that uh, CEO John Stump, I think is his name, is he's, he's, he's being proactive enough to, to make me want to learn more. All right. At Ben Embiricos asks, are there any reasons for optimism for GoPro shareholders? It's been a grim 12 months. Uh, that is true. In the last 12 months, GoPro is down 63%. Where's the optimism? Where's the ray of hope? Well, he's sitting right next to me here, and his name is Mark Reith. Right? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're an optimistic guy, though. I like that. I, I don't know that I would be feeling so good about, um, about GoPro, though. Mm-hmm. I think I, this is one that... At the very least, this is a busted thesis. Mm. Um, the idea was that this was going to be a device maker. They were going to leverage that device into content and become very profitable in the process. And investors were just going to go off and, and just live happily ever after. And that has basically turned out to be the opposite. And the problem is that they've never really been able to leverage that content. And when you're just a device maker, at some point, that device becomes commoditized. You get stuck competing on pricing. You lose your margins, and things just kind of go south really quickly. And that's what's happened to GoPro. Now, I think that 
in the ch- in the short run, in the near term here, because this is what September now. We know this coming holiday season they have some new products that are rolling out. It's very possible they have a good holiday season. If they have a good holiday season, it's very possible the market will react positively to that. Again, you have to ask yourself the question, if that does happen, how sustainable is that? Right. And I don't think it's going to be very sustainable, because they're just going to be stuck on that sort of hamster wheel of having to come up with something new every holiday season. So, when I look at this from an investor's perspective, I would stay away. If you own it, you're not going to have to make that decision on your own, because I certainly see the potential for a near-term catalyst if they have a good holiday season, but that's a big if. I just don't know. But I definitely would not have GoPro at the top of my list today. Okay. At the Kai 3, that's K I E 3, what's your take on Alexa always on and listening? Privacy concerns? And Alexa, for those out there who don't know, it's the little speaker that Amazon has put out where you can make orders to Amazon. You can ask it questions and it'll answer. You can also listen to the Motley Fool flash briefings. That's right. I'm going to use this tweet as a go. chance to plug something that we've just started here at the Motley Fool. We've got our flash briefings, which is an app you can use if you're an Alexa user, uh, you can say, hey, Alexa, what are stocks doing today? And my voice, or more preferably, Chris Hill's voice, <laughs> will come on and let you know uh, and tell you what the news of the day is. Uh, so, check it out, Motley Fool Flash Briefings. But enough shilling. JMO, <laughs> what's your take on Alexa always on and listening? Are privacy concerns really going to hold people back from buying Alexas? It probably will hold some people back. Um, I don't think it'll, at the end of the day, have an effect on the majority of people. Um, I, we've had we've had an echo in our house for uh, probably I guess two years now, and I've had a lot of fun using it. I mean, you can ask Alexa to play market foolery. You can ask her to play music that's in your prime uh, music uh, library. Um, I I even hooked up our living room lights to our echo so that I can say Alexa, turn on the living room lights. Really, and they turn on as okay. if they were magic. But she's um, always listening. She's always listening, apparently. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like at this point, listen, Mark, I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> and I kind of draw the line there. I feel like I'm not in my home planning anything terribly nefarious, and we're not doing anything illegal. Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to be listening into my home, I think you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> you're just going to be bored. <laughs> you're going to hear me, you know, uh, yell at my dog maybe for taking a dump on the floor, and sure. that's about the size of it. But um, I think that some people will probably have a little bit of a problem with that, and I, and I get it. That's totally fine. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself because I can tell you this: as time goes on, this is only going to spread. Oh, I mean, yeah. these types of devices are here to stay. And whether it's the Echo in your house or your car or your phone or if you have a smartwatch, everywhere you go now, you're connected and being recorded and listened to. It's just the world we live in. It's Technology true. giveth and it taketh away. Uh, so you're going to have to kind of make your own decision there. For me personally, um, the Echo, uh, we've, we've gotten a lot more enjoyment out, out of it, and I, I just don't put this really up there as a problem. All right. Last but certainly not least, at Brasco asks, Will my enjoyment of NFL games be increased now that I can watch and get snarky Twitter comments on my screen? I think that's a definitive yes. Absolutely. Snark for everyone. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to be on Thursday. I'm going to be, like you said, I'm going to have my TV on. I'm going to have my laptop in my lap. I'm going to have my phone on me. I'm going to be <laughs> tweeting. It's going to be great. I can't wait for just the stupid comments to come across the screen. There's bound to be one or two or 50. I mean, it'll be. Uh, <laughs> it's Twitter. There's going to yeah, be more than it's that. It's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, I think it's really neat and that's going to be 
sort of the idea there is it's that one app that's going to integrate everything into that one experience. So they'll integrate Periscope content and Vine content and Twitter content, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to watch the games. I, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how they pull this off. I mean, I, I'm sure they're excited about it. I'm sure it won't be perfect, and I'm sure they'll learn a lot from from one game and, and employ those learnings in the next one. It'll just be uh, sort of a process there. But, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great time to be a consumer, right? <laughs> I can't wait. No. Jason, thank you for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.